Paradise people. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bella Rooney, and today we are talking turtles. And more specifically, we're talking about the importance of turtle-friendly lighting on our beaches. Today, I chatted with Wendy Johnston, Jane Hardwick, and Jerrica Wood about the threat artificial light poses on turtle hatchlings and how they are changing the beach lighting game in the critical hatchling environments. Wendy was the former manager of the department's environmental management unit. This unit is responsible for trying to ensure the environment is taken into consideration in the permitting of new development and making policy recommendations to support the conservation of Cayman's protected flora and fauna. She has a master's degree in coastal zone management and a postgraduate degree in planning and development. Sadly, she has been whisked away to Jersey on other environmental exploits and we wish her the absolute best of luck. Jane is a research officer for the Department of Environment and coordinates the Sea Turtle Program. She has a PhD in tropical ecology and has been working with turtles for the last four years. Her job at the DOE involves working on the Turtle Friendly Lighting Project, ensuring the sea turtle nesting season goes smoothly and analyzing the nesting data from the field. Jerrica is a Sustainability and Environmental Assessment Officer with the DOE's Environmental Management Unit. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Integrated Wildlife Conservation and a Master's in Sustainable Development in Practice. Jerrica assists with the development and implementation of the DOE's Environmental Management Initiatives and Programs, and also assists in the assessment, monitoring and compliance of coastal and terrestrial development that is likely to impact the natural environment. She's also heavily involved in the department's turtle-friendly lighting EPF retrofit project and reviews turtle-friendly lighting plans for new developments along the beach. These ladies and their work are truly incredible and so vital to the success of our turtle populations here in the Cayman Islands, so I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. So let's dive on in. Good evening, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss this super exciting um, project, and it's very needed. So, yeah. So, when did this this project begin, and kind of what prompted you to start it? Hi. Well, thank you very much for inviting us on the podcast. Um, We've been aware of the problem of artificial lights for sea turtles for many years now. Um, Every nesting season, we would get reports of baby turtles that had ended up in roads, parking lots, swimming pools, um, and basically other places where they shouldn't be. (laughs) So um, we'd also get reports of adult female turtles that had ended up in swimming pools or had got trapped inland and they'd lost their way back to sea. So what we would do is reach out to property owners and ask them to turn off their beachfront lighting um, when a nest was due to hatch. There's a 10 day window at the end of an incubation period Mm -hmm. for a nest. Mm -hmm. When the baby turtles will emerge from Mm -hmm. from their nests. Um, But we can't be certain exactly when they'll hatch in that period. And so it requires properties to have their lights turned off for quite a long period of time. And then you get some properties with multiple nests and they're Mm -hmm. very lucky, but it means they can have weeks and weeks of their property in darkness. So it's not really a a very desirable option for property owners, 
because it's impractical. Uh-huh. Um, it can co- cause concern for safety and security, mm-hmm. um, and it's prone to error. Sometimes people would switch back their lights mm-hmm. um, because they'd think that the nest had hatched and it hadn't, and yeah, yeah just kind of quite difficult. Um, it's also really labour intensive for the DOE to be to reaching out to dozens of properties um, in the peak of nesting season to, to request their lights to be switched off. And we do have nesting on all three islands mm-hmm. um, wow. across dozens of beaches. That's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so basically the DOE was aware of a special type of lighting that could be used in place of normal white lighting. Okay. Um, and you would find it, you could find it um, applicable for most coastal properties. And we refer to it as turtle friendly lighting. <laughs> um, and it's been a legal requirement in Florida for the past 25 years. So. A few years back, we reached out to some of our properties that were on nesting beaches and tourism partners to try and gain support for switching out their lights to this turtle-friendly lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of support. People were like very keen to support what we were doing, but nobody changed their lights. I think that's a kind of uh, a lesson that is is quite important that without regulations or legal requirements, people want to do the right thing, but mm-hmm. ultimately it, they the don't actions. always do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The actions don't always follow. Yeah. Um, and nobody else had done this turtle-friendly lighting on island, so there was no examples to look at. So we um, prepared a turtle conservation plan. Mm-hmm. So this would then make it a legal requirement. Mm-hmm. So we drafted that um, and proposed a number of interventions and measures to try and help our sea turtle population. And one of those was to have um, turtle-friendly lighting as a legal requirement mm-hmm. on really busy mm-hmm. nesting beaches. Brilliant. Yeah. And we call those really busy beaches critical habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, that plan hasn't been adopted yet, um, but we're hoping that that will happen soon. So that in the interim, once we had that plan drafted, about four years ago, we applied for funding from the Environmental Protection Fund to basically help fund the design of turtle-friendly lighting plans and buy some of these turtle-friendly lighting products. Okay, so what is the Environmental Protection Fund? So the EPF, as it's commonly known, is a fund that was set up to be used to acquire land for conservation and to fund the implementation of measures to protect and conserve protected species and their critical habitat. Love that. So this sits very nicely with what we're trying to achieve here. So funds in the EPF come from the environmental departure tax that Mm -hmm. everybody pays when they leave the island. and any fines arising from offences under the National Conservation Act. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, we find somebody for poaching or something yeah. like that. That money all goes into this pot of um, funding. So, but basically, what we wanted to do was use some of this money to help change out the lights on some of the most um, problematic beaches. Right. Um, how great that's there. Yeah, yeah, that is. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, not easy to access. It's not yeah. a, certainly not a DOE fund. But these bad people doing it didn't realize they were helping like, in the long run. But they had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we that was great. So at the beginning, we reached out to properties that had. Um, a lot of lighting, a lot of nesting, and a lot of problems with the lights. Mm -hmm. Um, In the second round, we then expanded our program to all of Grand Cayman for the Mm -hmm. critical habitat areas. Um, And then as we move forward now, we're looking to expand it across all three islands where there's critical habitat. Yes. Yeah, so as well as doing that, we've used some of the funding to to switch out problematic streetlights. 
because street lights not just property lights of course yeah and that would be really tricky yeah, yeah yeah exactly some of the street lights and we also ha- um, had some workshops to provide training for local architects contractors Brilliant. electricians yeah. to try and build a better local capacity for for designing plans for turtle friendly lighting and yeah. and installing it and making people aware to the fact in the local community aware to the fact that it is an issue you know and yeah i feel like that sometimes gets lost <laughs> that even your lights on the street are an issue yeah it's not just property owners so you have all this um happening this project ramping up but what actually is it about the lights that makes it so harmful to the hatchlings it, is it, what is it about that that harms their journey and their life goals what is so basically turtles carry out all their activity at night mature females come up the beach at night to lay their nests mm-hmm. and the baby turtles leave the nests at night oh, when they okay. when they hatch um, and they use visual cues to find their way back to the sea okay so when you have an undeveloped beach the the brightest light will be the reflection of the moon and the stars shining mm. on the water surface oh, so serene which sounds idyllic <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we're not obviously in that situation anymore globally probably <laughs> um, so when we have a developed beach we have artificial light and mm-hmm. that can really outpower the natural lighting and the natural cues that they would use. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sea turtles will head landward to the brighter lights, and mm-hmm. when they do that, that's called a misorientation. Okay, getting and, all confused. Yeah, and and those problematic lights, they can be external lights on a property, they can be street lights, as I mentioned, or they can actually be people's interior lights mm. just shining through windows. Right. Yeah, so there's quite a few options for, for problems that can be created. Um, and when the baby turtles emerge from their nests, they only have a really small amount of energy from oh. yeah from their yolk sac. And if they use up a lot of energy wandering around the beach trying to work out where they need to go, uh-huh. um, we, it can really impact their survival um, because they need to use that energy to get down the beach yeah. into the water and swim off into deeper water. So if they've spent half the night wandering around the beach confused, oh. it really does impact their chances of survival. So what is it, what's gonna make it less hazardous? What, 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 what about your turtle friendly lighting is gonna make it, you know, let, make them forget, just stare at the moon, twinkly eyed? Yeah. <laughs> what's gonna do it? So it's quite simple really, yeah. you know, you just have to keep the beach dark basically. Um, that's a really important principle. Um, but where we have properties on nesting beaches, we obviously need to ensure that the properties are safely illuminated. Right. So, so, the, it's, so it's mm-hmm. making sure that you can illuminate a property so guests, residents, visitors can enjoy it, mm-hmm. but keep the beach dark during nesting season. And just nesting season, right? Yeah. yeah. Ideally, yeah. yeah. So people ask, like, oh, what about our Christmas ornamental lighting? Yeah, that's and it's like, well, it's not in nesting season. So, so. yeah. So, so that's fine. It's um, generally May to November, the nesting season. Okay. Um, but there are also specific bulbs and fixtures that people can buy um, that can really help to ensure that the beach does remain dark Great. and the property is safely lit. Um, so the turtle-friendly lighting follows three key principles. So mm-hmm. number one is wavelength. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to sound too technical or get too technical. <laughs> it doesn't need to be. It's just basically um, on the light spectrum, you have all the colors of the rainbow. So right. we see white light, and it's made up of all different colors, but yeah. we just see the white. Um, 
Turtles are really attracted to that white light. So what we want is lights that are kind of ambers and reds. So they're the mm-hmm. longer wavelengths. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's one really important thing. Um, so if people are going to buy bulbs that are turtle friendly, they need to look for the wavelength. That's oh, okay. a really important thing. What is um, that? What is that? 560 nanometers. Nan- nanometers. Yeah. yeah. So you hear people talking about Kelvins, which yeah. is temperature and different things. So it's just wavelengths really important. Okay, cool. The other thing is, um, unfortunately, we do see um, some products that are that incorrectly labeled or marketed as being turtle friendly. Like so they organic, s- right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly, absolutely. <laughs> so they might say amber bulbs, like amber bug lights, things like oh. that. They're not the right wavelength. So it's really important to look at a box and look for the nanometers. Um, and all turtle friendly products will have that on. Okay. Yeah. So it's like it's quite straightforward. Um, and we think that basically this wavelength's good because t- the turtles have spent a lot of their life underwater and it changes the way they can see and there's all this cool oh, stuff. Wow. That, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's principle number one, wavelength. It's got to yeah. be a long wavelength. Number two, lights have to be low to the ground so mm-hmm. they don't create big sky glow, unnecessary mm. illumination. But they're also low wattage products as well. The turtle friendly lighting is naturally a bit darker. Right. So it doesn't create a cumulative glow, a anyway. big glow on the beach. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then they also have to be shielded um, and that's just to make sure that the light shines landward and not down to the beach or sea ah. if that's if you're using beachfront lights um, so yeah so well, those are kind of the pretty straightforward doesn't yeah it? it is yeah the turtles aren't completely blind to this light so you couldn't like fill your whole property with amber with all the light <laughs> it, it right. would still be too much but if you use shielded fixtures low to the ground with the correct wavelength you're probably on the right lines okay cool yeah that's great. So what is it about the hatchings that's so unpredictable? Like you said, they, a condo might turn on their lights thinking that they've hatched. But what is it about it? What is it about the little turtles themselves that's so unpredictable? One of the most important things, so the incubation time for the eggs um, is really dependent on multiple environmental factors. And the most important one is temperature. Mm. Um, so in the warmest part of summer, eggs can be hatching around 50 days, 50 to 55 days, wow. really. Um, and something else that's interesting about that is the the sex ratios of the hatchlings also changes with temperature so in the warmer parts of the year you're going to get more females and later in the year when it's cooler you get more males produced that's so interesting Um, yeah but but in the cooler parts of the year the eggs actually incubate for longer as well so it can be 55 to 65 days incubation time later in the year or or earlier earlier in the year before it's kind of the peak of summer um, and then there's all these other things, like if the nest is shaded, uh-huh. it's obviously the sand is cooler. And right. um, if, it, if it rains more during the incubation time, uh-huh. it cools it down so it can take longer. The depth of the, the egg chamber, um, the type of sand, is it a rocky beach or a, is it fine sand? Um, all those oh. things influence um, how long the eggs are going to um, incubate for. Um, and it's those, all those reasons we can't accurately predict no. when a nest is going to hatch. So we know in the, in the heat of the summer, all this, the nest will probably take a bit longer. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be closer to 60 days than it is to 50 days. Mm-hmm. But that's why we have to give properties this kind of 10-day window at least to yeah. say, your nest is going to hatch soon. It could be next week. We're not entirely sure, but please keep your lights out if you have bad, you know, non-turtle-friendly lighting. Um, so that that always makes it a bit difficult and if properties have multiple nests mm-hmm. 
they can have their lights off for 10 days for one nest and we can say oh it's hatched now yeah you can turn them back on and then their next nest comes up on our list and we have to say oh sorry Sorry. (laughs) two days later you you have to turn your lights off again And, and last year we had a couple of properties where they had their lights off for for a couple of months because of that basically and you know it's the last thing we want is properties to be in the dark all that time and they don't want to be in the dark so turtle lighting is really that's why it's such a good solution that they can keep lights on on the beach throughout the whole nesting season it is it's a compromise for everybody exactly (laughs) a happy compromise for everybody yeah is it just the lighting that's hazardous to the hatchlings i know we Obviously, we know the lighting's awful, but mm. what else on the beach? Because, you know, we have lots of beach beach people that scrape beaches and all sorts. So does that have an impact? Yes, absolutely. So um, one of the major threats, aside from lighting, is um, vehicles on the beach or heavy machinery mm. on the beach. Mm. And um, we do try and ask all the machinery operators during nesting season to let us know if they need to drive onto the beach and do works. Oh, cool. um, yeah. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but because we don't mark out where all the nests are, mm-hmm. because we don't want it to be obvious to everybody where nests are, because we do have people that interfere with nests as well. Um, so because the nests aren't marked out, if you drive a vehicle on the beach you can easily drive over a turtle nest and that can compact the sand um, which can actually prevent the hatchlings from being able to climb out Um, or if they're already out of the eggs they have like this air pocket in in the sand that they're all sitting in and that's how they breathe Um, and if that collapses that can cause them to suffocate and die so heavy machinery on beaches is a a real problem Um, and if the new conservation act does go through then there will be a legal requirement for everybody driving a vehicle on the beach to have a permit Um, so that will help solve that problem um yeah it's really important yeah but we yeah. also have so many vehicles on the beach just to to clean sargassum and things like that um mm, and right. even just people that rake the sand and mm-hmm. that's not that's not hazard to the nest themselves but sometimes um people that rake the sand outside the properties can cover up tracks and so when a new a new nest can be laid and completely covered up by somebody raking oh. and then we don't know about it um, and then obviously it's, if it's in an area with bad lighting, it will hatch. Mm-hmm. The hatchlings will go everywhere towards the lights and we'll get a call and oh, we didn't know about this doing? nest. Um, but that's because the, obviously the tracks have been covered up so we didn't get any nest report. Oh. Um, but aside from that, there's, there's a few other threats. Yeah. Um, beach furniture can be a problem. So deck chairs and things like that. Um, when the females come out of the water so it's it's for adult turtles not hatchlings but um, when they come out of the water and they're trying to find a place to nest we've had turtles tangled up in beach furniture Um, they've dragged one one dragged a deck chair into the sea with her luckily she got free in the water but you know you can imagine like that's stressful yeah it's really stressful for the animals and it's yeah um so we do ask people as well the all the condos and properties if they can stack their chairs at the end of the night and or the end of the day and just put them to one side so they're not kind of spread across the beach again some people do it some Some people people don't don't do it it's easy enough Um, right you know they have so many natural threats too at sea um the hatchlings getting into the water is one thing and then they've got all the predators in the water that instantly go to feed on them oh. um it's it's, it's what, only one in a thousand hatchlings make it to a mature adult so 
Um, the odds are oh, not good. I remember um, releasing a hatchling once going, you're going to make yeah. it. You're going to do it. Probably didn't. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say that. I named him Survivor. I was like oh, seven. Well, <laughs> you never know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's obviously a, there's a lot of natural threats mm-hmm. as well as human threats. And, right, yeah. Um, things like climate change is increasing storms that we have and... Um, that causes nests to become inundated and, yeah. and that can decrease the hatch success or, or cause nest failures. So, right, of course. So, and I mean, like the temperature, yeah. if you're talking about the temperature mm-hmm. sand, that would change. With the increasing sexes, temperature, right? we could end up with uh, all females, 100% females. Oh, I mean, and we down want the all line, females yeah. anyway to rule the world, but... In, <laughs> down the line, we'll have a problem with that. Yeah. That'll be a problem Exactly. So, okay. Yes, yeah, so they do feel, they face multiple threats, but right now lighting is, is the major one for hatchlings, and mm. if we can focus on that, it's it's a good start. Landowners obviously have, you know, like, as you said, some of them do, some of them don't, and if they're in critical habitat, what are some of the problems that you run into with landowners? Okay, so um, some of the problems we've experienced, I would say, throughout this retrofit project is um, having, how do you put it, too many chefs in the in the kitchen. <laughs> a lot of the properties that we've dealt with so far have been the larger condos, and they have big stratas, you have multiple people. Sometimes you have some people that are really on board with turtle-friendly lighting, some people not so much. They need a little bit of convincing. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it comes down to not the actual turtle-friendly lighting at all, but the aesthetic and one wants this color and one wants another color. Oh my so gosh. it takes it takes longer. I think it took longer than we thought to get everyone in agreement with mm-hmm. that first stage with the plan when we design plans. So we've had that experience. We've also had to overcome um, people's ideas that bright lights and lots of illumination just means that a place is safer for security mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a major concern because turtle-friendly lighting is, the beach is dark and the light levels, the illumination levels are a lot lower mm-hmm. and you have that amber light so it's not that bright white light. Um, but. We've spoken with uh, the Royal Cayman Islands Police Service and we held a workshop with them and um, some of the properties along Seven Mile Beach, which was really well, um, a really good workshop, I would say. And we we discussed the matters of security. Mm-hmm. The police that we have here reached out to Florida police where it's been a legal requirement for over 25 years. And their reports showed that there was no increase in crime or antisocial behavior. So it was great to have that evidence mm-hmm. um, to present to the to these property owners as we um, go through this retrofit project. Yeah, some reassurance. <laughs> some reassurance for sure. Um, so there's also other things we've been able to do. We just want we want the property to be safe and comfortable for the people that live and the people that stay there as well as um, safe for the turtles. And so it's been working on that compromise. And we've been able to do this with the use of like security, um, what are they called, motion detector lights, Um, putting things on like those twist jacuzzi timers so they can't be left on overnight. So we've we've had um, a good mix of things there. We've also, come into, um, I guess, some discussions when it comes to ornamental lighting. So it's great, like the the Christmas lights and stuff are great because nesting season falls outside of that 
you know, right. December, Christmas period. But some of the properties like to have really bright up lights that oh. shine into like the palm trees and stuff on the beach, like that, that decorative lighting. Mm. So um, on houses, it hasn't been so much of a problem, but some of the big hotels and condos like to have that lighting. So it's been a compromise with having that lighting off in the nesting season because that can still be it can still cause an issue that up glow mm -hmm. even if it's not like right on right on the beach mm -hmm. so we we call it sky glow and if you can see that from the beach then it's most likely going to be a problem so right. can, trying to get those lights um those lights either removed or used outside of nesting season and the last one i would say maybe has been cost so some of the so to assist with the cost this has been a partnership where we pay for the design of the lighting plan and for the turtle friendly lighting um, fixtures and the bulbs mm -hmm. to help with that cost and then the properties pay for the installation mm. and sometimes the installation for some of these large properties is a, I, I guess quite a bit mm -hmm. um, but the Properties get to choose their preferred installer once they're a certified electrician. So the prices can range. Um, so some properties uh, may have a, a higher cost than than others. Nice. And some have found that once they go to change the lights that they, the wiring needed updating because some of the condos are quite old. old. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, for so sure. it's less of a turtle-friendly lighting property, um, turtle-friendly lighting problem. But um, still, that's been a, a little... A little delay in, in sometimes oh, so yeah. yeah extra hidden layers <laughs> to the problem sometimes with that yeah so what are the end goals for the project and how are we going to implement them for long-term um, effects so I would say the ultimate end goal is for all turtle nesting habitat to be turtle friendly um, as development increases on the coast we have less and less of that dark, natural, undeveloped beach. So we just want like humans and turtles to be able to live in harmony. Mm. We want the lights to be, we want the properties to be well illuminated and safe and the beach is dark for the turtles. Um, so one good thing as we're here discussing is that unlike other pollutants, light pollution is manageable and it doesn't stay yeah. in the atmosphere. So we can <sighs> correct that problem yeah. and turtle friendly lighting is a great solution for that. So. I think that implementing implementing this, it will be a lot easier once we have our species conservation plan in, um, once we have that species conservation plan um, adopted. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we do have um, an interim directive mm -hmm. under the National Conservation Act for critical habitat. So new development in critical habitat has to have that legal requirement for turtle-friendly lighting, which is great, yeah. but that's only for new builds. So that doesn't help mm. <laughs> the properties that are already existing. So that's why that's another reason why we did this project. So I would say that we pursued this turtle-friendly lighting project for the three key reasons. One was to provide direct and immediate conservation benefit. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we, as my colleagues said, we started with the densest, the densest area of nesting with the most misorientations, mm -hmm. and we've um, extended out to the 
critical habitat on Grand Cayman, and hopefully we'll do this for all three islands. All mm-hmm. three islands. Great. So switching the lights immediately has an impact. We've had to intervene less, and um, more turtles can safely make it to the sea. As well, um, our second, I would say, reason for pursuing this was to provide local examples. So our conservation plan asks that properties that are in critical habitat retrofit to turtle-friendly lighting within three years. And um, we didn't have any examples of turtle-friendly lighting on island. We didn't have any examples in local um, shops either for people to go and look at what that is and what turtle-friendly lighting looks like. So Mm -hmm. we wanted people to be able to walk around a property, see what it's like, experience turtle-friendly lighting, and we've been able to do that with this retrofit project. Um, The other thing I would say is to build that local capacity. So Mm -hmm. turtle-friendly lighting has, I think it has benefits and opportunities for so many different people so of course it's going to help the turtles and you know that conservation effort but there's opportunity for the lighting plan design for architects and lighting designers we have opportunity for landscapers to use um, these turtle friendly lights in their landscaping and maintenance of some of these properties we have the local stores that can stock the fixtures and stock the lights Um, So it's really building that local capacity and, of course, um, Mm -hmm. forgetting the installers. So then you have, like, the electricians and the electrical contractors that go and physically install these fixtures. So there's a lot of opportunity for everyone with the turtle-friendly lighting, um, and we hope that... We hope that it continues to grow. Yeah, that's a team effort. Yeah. (laughs) That that is every bit and bob of the island (laughs) out Mm -hmm. and working on it. So... Is it only really artificial light that's impacting the hatchlings? I know, I know. We talked about you know the physical problems on the beach, but what about the adult turtles and other species on land that for yeah. maybe houses inland or something like that? Yeah. So, light is a powerful biological force for many species. It acts as a magnet for disrupting foraging, um, mating, resting, hormone-related processes, navigational behaviors. So um, globally, artificial lighting has impacts on amphibians, frogs, toads, um, birds and migrating birds, mammals, insects, plants, and sea turtles, Mm -hmm. um, as well as in the marine environment as well. Locally, a lot of our data has focused on turtles. So we have that data on artificial light impacting turtles, and it's it's a really big threat to our turtles here. But it's not only the baby turtles that are impacted by the artificial lights. So bright lights on nesting beaches can deter adult female turtles from nesting. It can cause them to become what we refer to as disoriented, so Mm -hmm. they get lost on their way back to the sea. So instead of going to the sea after they lay their eggs, they sometimes end up in swimming pools. Oh. We don't know what you know the effect of them staying in a swimming pool all night is until someone's been able to find them. it's also a big effort. They're they're huge animals. They're heavy. So it takes, yeah, so it takes it takes quite a few members to, to come up with those rescue missions. Um, we've also had experiences of them becoming trapped. So we've had some trapped in the cemetery, and we've again had to um, remove the animal and guide them back to the water. They can also wander into roads. They can oh. fall into construction sites um, when they have excavated pits. Um, 
They can also, uh, once, they, once they're trapped, they become more vulnerable to poaching, which we still experience. We still have that. We do. So you know, we I still don't even experience know about that. Poaching. And once a, tra- <laughs> once a turtle is trapped, it's hard um, then for them to free themselves. Um, yeah, so we, it, it has a lot um, of effect on our turtles and on other species, on other species as well. Yeah, it sounds like it's booby traps <laughs> left and right all over this freaking place. <laughs> oh, well. So, well, I guess we could finish it on a positive note. Um, has it been successful? What are the, what are, and what are the most important things you want the listeners to kind of take away from this interview? So, yes, I'll say um, definitely it's been successful. We've had a decrease in misorientation. So when the, when the um, baby turtles hatch, they've mm-hmm. gone the right way. Um, and that's been great. In some stretches, for example, on Spot Beach, we've had we haven't had to intervene at all. So that entire stretch is now turtle friendly. We've wow. had um, some of the properties have been retrofitted, and some were new builds that had a requirement for turtle friendly lighting as a part of their planning um, condition. So that whole stretch is turtle friendly, and it's been great to know that if we have a nest there, we can just leave it, and it's going to natu- hatch hatch um, naturally <laughs> naturally yes so that's been great um we've also so having to intervene less takes less manpower so that's been great we've also had an increase in some of the um nesting on properties that we've retrofitted mm-hmm. so it's been great for the properties to experience more nesting I was gonna say yeah, yeah so they they've been really excited about it and we've been able to uh, partner with other agencies like we partnered with the National Roads Authority, the Port Authority and CUC to make a big difference with street lights and it's always great when you can work with other organizations for a positive cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's been really great. A lot of the properties have um, really liked the turtle friendly lighting. It's quite a romantic light. And yeah, it's like, Ooh, la, la. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it's been really nice um, having those examples and being able to send people that are looking at building a new development on the beach uh, to these properties that have been retrofitted. A lot of them being. Um, the type of properties they are, the condos, they're happy to have people walk around and, and see what they look like. Cool. So it's been awesome. That's brilliant. So, I mean, you guys are going in the perfect direction, it sounds yeah. like, right? Oh, I, I, I didn't, um, I would say what we want people to take away from this podcast is that our turtle nesting population in the Cayman Islands is endangered. So every nest counts yeah. and artificial lighting is a huge threat to Mm -hmm. our um, nesting population here in the Cayman Islands. So anything that they can do to help is greatly appreciated. Um, And one of those win-win solutions is is swapping artificial lights out for turtle-friendly lighting. Mm -hmm. And the DOE is always here to help. If you want to find out if you're in a turtle nesting beach, you can give us a call and we can look up um, your location and let you know if you're in a nesting beach. And we're always happy to help. um, If you're in a critical habitat, you could participate in our Mm. EPF retrofit um, project. and if you're not in critical habitat but still on a nesting beach and you're interested in retrofitting, we're always happy to, to help you along and recommend fi- fixtures for you. So, um, yeah, give us a call. <laughs> I hope people do. And so where can we find all this information? It's on your website, right? It is, yeah. Um, so it's 
doe.ky. Yeah, and then, cool. That's how I found. I just titled Turtle Friendly Lighting, and it popped right up. Cool. Thank you guys so much for talking to me about this project. It's so exciting. I'm so excited about it. I'm sure everybody else is going to be super excited about it. And we'll have more babies running around, and that's really nice. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much again to Wendy, Jane, and Jerrica for coming on the podcast and shining some light, no pun intended, on this critical turtle conservation issue. You can find more information in the show notes of today's episode, and you can check out the DOE's Instagram for updates on their turtle-friendly lighting project. Remember to check us out on Instagram at protectingparadiseky, and until then, I'll catch you next time. Toodles! Toodles!